So we're in uh, Genesis chapter 24. This morning we've been making our way through Genesis for quite a long time. We start, something we started in a Bible study actually out in New York with some friends on uh, Sunday afternoons and uh, it just kind of kept going. I came out here and was just like, all right, Lord, I guess we'll keep from Genesis. But the title of the series is Genesis, God and Man. Um, what we've been looking at is really the relation between God and man in Genesis and how um, I think sometimes when we look back at the scripture, we kind of, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get this kind of wall up between me and the people in the Bible that, uh, oh, they were different or they didn't experience the same things I did or that they were somehow uh, special or, and they are, I mean, obviously they're in the Bible, they're there for all of history to read and to know about, but the fact is, as we look through uh, the scripture, we see that these people were ordinary people like you and I, and then God showed up in their life and God pursued them despite their wanderings or despite their misgivings or even misconceptions about who he was. Um, and this morning we're looking at Abraham. Uh, he's nearing the end of his life and he sends his servant to find a bride for Isaac. Sarah passed away in the last chapter. We saw him uh, bury her. Um, but basically this is an arranged marriage that goes on as a dad. Um, I, I would love the idea of an arranged marriage. <laughs> no, you cannot marry him. This is the right person for you. Or even better yet, don't get married at all. Just stay locked up in your tower and never come down. Um, but that's a selfish dad, I think, in a way. But this was also something that was a practice of royalty where they would uh, give a bride or give someone from their family. We see that, obviously, with Abraham. And uh, he tries to pass off Sarah as his sister to try and gain everything with Pharaoh and Abimelech. We see that with David and Saul. Saul gives him Milcah. But it, it's something that's practiced throughout history. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie Fiddler on the Roof. That's one of our favorites. To where, yes, they right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but sincerely, you know, they try and have these arranged marriages. But the whole movie is about breaking this tradition and them falling in love um, outside of the tradition of this matchmaker. Uh, but as we see with dating in Western culture, uh, the apps that are available today just to find someone to just be involved with is, is kind of totally against a lot of what we're going to see here today. Uh, we see Western culture has a lot of uh, marriage and divorce rates. We've even extended marriage to things that the Bible would say isn't marriage. And even among Christians, we see an equal divorce rate uh, between uh, those who uh, are saved and are not saved. So maybe it's not such a bad idea in some ways to think of an arranged marriage. I'm not saying that necessarily it's the best thing, um, but I think it's, maybe it's not as foreign as we should look at it. But at the end of the, end of the day, I don't really want it left up to me. I don't want to be the one who arranges my daughter's marriages because I'm not going to pick the best guy. I know that God is the one who's going to make the best decision, who will uh, arrange the best way for it. You know, in fact, even when I was praying about marrying my wife, Ashley, uh, God gave me a verse, James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There are many girls that before I knew the Lord that I thought would be perfect to marry, and I'm so thankful that I am not married to them. There are even girls that came along after I got saved that many others thought would be the perfect arranged marriage for me, and I'm glad that I am married to the one that, that God arranged for me. But God, this morning, as we continue in your word, we pray that, God, you would use it and speak it to uh, us in our hearts and, and strengthen us and feed us by it. But that, God, you would uh, help us live from it and, uh, and ultimately see you through it. That we wouldn't just know what this chapter says, but we would just hear your voice uh, still and small this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Uh, so it's a long chapter. We're going to try and uh, muscle through it, but let's start with the first 10 verses of Genesis chapter 24. And uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, but new, uh, now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will uh, be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all of his master's goods were in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And we see here in verse 8, this oath, that's where we get the title uh, for today's message, this oath, uh, that Abraham has his servant take an oath to get Isaac a bride. Abraham's getting old. Abraham's not going to be around. He doesn't think much longer. He's not going to be able to go find uh, a bride. Maybe his eyes aren't that good anymore. Maybe he wouldn't be able to make the journey back there. But he asked his servant, and we don't see the name of the servant here, uh, but we can guess uh, if it's the same servant from Genesis 15. Uh, yeah, Genesis 15 to Eleazar. He was the chief servant of his house. If you remember um, when Abraham uh, was talking with God and God promised him a son, uh, he said, well, you know, I don't have an heir. I only have Eleazar, the head of my house. That this servant, if Abraham died at that point, would have inherited all of uh, Abraham's wealth. And if this is in fact him, he's a very special man to Abraham. He's, they've been together for a long, long time. You know, the commentary says at this point it would have been at least 60 years. Um, but I think that this relationship is special for a reason, that Abraham doesn't trust his son and this important decision in his son's life about who he's going to marry to just anyone. He wants to make sure that this person is trustworthy, that this person is the right person for his son, and he trusts Eleazar with that. And if we take a, a step back from Scripture a little bit, we, we kind of can see a picture here. This is the Father, and in a sense, the Holy Spirit going out to find a bride for Jesus, that just like uh, God sends the Holy Spirit into the world to convict it of sin and of righteousness and judgment and to get our attention that we need a Savior, he didn't just trust that to any angel. He trusted that to uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's kind of a, a loose picture here, but I think that this, that's part of what God is alluding to in this area of Scripture. But he asked Eleazar to come close, and they do this thing, put your hand under my thigh. Um, I, it's probably would be kind of awkward today that we kind of shake on it. We sign a piece of paper. There's no thigh involved, thankfully. Uh, you know? uh, but this is how an oath was sworn. You'd get down and you'd be close and intimate and say, hey, you know, you can smell the guy's breath that, man, please do what I'm asking you to do. Don't take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but go back to my country and my family is what Abraham asked. You know, there's plenty of people around them in this new land but Abraham knew that none of these local girls were the right girls for his daughter. Um, we think of uh, Samson 
And what does he do? He begins to leave the local girls and go down to the Philistine girls. And we know the kind of trouble that he gets involved in. But Abraham knew that God sent him to this land and, and that his descendants would eventually take it over. And he knew that he had to be separate. That He wasn't moving to Canaan to become a Canaanite. He was moving to Canaan to become an Israelite. And he couldn't become an Israelite if he adopted the, the customs of these people. We see in the Bible, even with Solomon, that when he got involved with many women, the other women who were Israelites, that their idols began to draw him away from the living God. And Abraham knew this, and he knew they needed to be separate. Uh, for instance, 2 Corinthians 6, 16-18, it says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, that there is this difference that he's, been, he's made leagues with the people. He's helped them out in trouble uh, when the, the kings were in trouble and even Lot was kidnapped. Um, he's had relationships with the kings. Uh, the kings know who he are. The, the other guys know who he is in the gates of the cities. But he doesn't want to be that intimate with them. He wants to be among them, but he doesn't want to become them. <clears throat> and he says, excuse me, beware, do not take my son back there. That word beware means to keep guard, to watch, observe, to give heed. But even that sense of being on guard. I don't know if you ever guys have uh, visited New York City, but you always have to be on guard. You got to know where your wallet is. You don't want to be looking at a map and looking like a tourist. Or if you go in to do a contract or if you go to a used car sales place, you always kind of have to be on guard because you know that they want to sell you a bill of goods. And I think that he's telling Eliezer here, be on guard, watch and observe, and make sure that you don't just fall for any old woman that's up there. Don't just pick anyone, not necessarily the first one you meet. Make sure that they're the right one. And Jesus said in Matthew 10:16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and and while that's advice for spreading the gospel, I think that there's a lot of practical advice that we can get from that in life. That we need to be wise, but we also need to be gentle, especially when it comes to who we're going to marry, uh, or we already have married. Um, you know, for those who who aren't married yet, you know, I was a youth pastor and involved in youth ministry for a long time. All this idea of dating and finding the right one or courting, and you know, it's like, oh, you know, please just get a job first. <laughs> You know, at least to get these things right, you know, she might look good, but does she smell good to the Lord, so to speak? Does she know the Lord? The scripture says he will send his angel before you. You know, I don't necessarily think this is a Christophany. I don't think that there was a cloud that went before Eleazar, like we see with Moses and the Israelites in the, in the wilderness. But Abraham knew that God was in this and that if God was in it, God was going to send his messengers before him and prepare the way for them. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life where you just feel like God is just setting it up that uh, no matter how hard you try or how little you try, you just see that God is putting the pieces together. Um, like I say, when we moved out here and we were just praying about where to go, we were looking from above Missoula down to Sula and just there was only a couple houses and the house we got was the only one that was offered us to the end. So thankfully it worked out. But I just sensed when I come out here that, that the Lord was with me, that he was my real estate agent. And that in some sense, I could just step back and look and trust and pray and see what would come about. But he knew that that's 
what he needed to do. He knew that the Lord needed to be the one to go ahead and prepare the way. And he encourages Eleazar with that. They send his angel before you. And Eleazar is uh, rightly wondering, you know, what if, what if the woman's not willing to follow me? I go to get her and she doesn't want to come back. Um, but I think that we see that in this whole thing, it's important that the woman, want, the woman wants to marry the man, that this wasn't going to be arranged in a forced marriage, that she would want to be willing. She wouldn't want to be someone who didn't want to come all the way away, leave her whole country to come away and marry this, this stranger. But you can't force that love. And when we look at bad relationships, before I was with the Lord, I was in a bad relationship. It was all about forcing love with that person. I don't trust you, so I'm going to force you to do this or force you to do that. Or you look at abusive relationships and it's, it's forced love. And that's, that's not love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, we know this. It talks about love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy, does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not uh, behave rudely. It does not seek its own is not provoked, it thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, that, that if this is love, that she really wants to come away and marry him, that she'll come of her own accord. And that was his concern, and that was their thing. And even Abraham said, if she doesn't want to go with you, you're free from this oath. You know, you're not, you don't have to get up there and give your whole life and know that you're going to be breaking an oath to me, someone you've been close to your whole life and served your whole life. And if I die, you're not going to have this guilt that you never got this oath to work and you had to force her. You don't have to. If you find the woman and you believe she's the right one for my son and she doesn't want to come, well, that's okay. And I think that that's another great picture of our relationship with the Lord, that the Lord invites us all to come to him, invites us to know him, but we can say no. You know, why, do, why does a good God let people go to hell? Well, it's because there's a choice in the matter. Because he loves us, but he wants us to come to love him. And as much as he gives us every opportunity to not go, in the end, it's our choice to go to heaven or not. And he's given that choice to everyone at the cross. That if anyone doesn't come back with him, it's because they didn't want to. Not because they couldn't or he didn't make a way for them. But he would be free of this. He would be free of this oath. And I think that probably lifted a huge burden off his back. I don't know if you ever have to go out and do an errand for, you know, I have to go do an errand for my wife or do it for a job. But if they say, oh, you know what, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, there's a lot less burden there. There's a lot less burden there. But I think there's some marriage advice in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 17. It says, now to the married I command you, yet not to the Lord. Paul says, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let, her, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And it basically it goes on to say that, you know, if you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, that's okay. And if they're willing to be married to you, well, keep being married to them. But if they depart, well, don't force them to stay. Let them go. Let them go. And I think that we can learn a lot of marriage advice by reading just the, just the Bible and what it says. But um, we don't always want to go with what it says, I think. And that's true for myself as anyone else. But Mesopotamia, it says, go back there. It's this cradle of civilization. I, whenever I think of Mesopotamia, I think of like elementary school, social studies, and the Fertile Crescent and all this area. But it's uh, Iraq, the Tigris and Euphrates, Kuwait, northern Saudi Arabia, the eastern parts of Syria, southwestern, southeastern Turkey. It's an area that we hear a lot about in the news uh, these days. 
But he says, go back here where you were from. Remember, we, Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. And he actually um, goes to Abraham's brother, as we'll see, Nahor, to go back and see his family. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 11. Um, and hopefully we can get through all this day. But, uh, and he made his camels uh, kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. Uh, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And we'll stop there. But we see that it gets there. It's evening time. It's been a long journey. I don't know how many days it took him um, or maybe even weeks, but it's evening He's stopped their rest. They don't have any place to stay yet. Um, but it was the cooler time of the day. Um, I remember going to, I, I went to Florida for a friend's wedding and being out in the daytime. I was like crying, running between the car and Walmart. Uh, we went on a couple of missions trips to the Bahamas with youth group. And I remember we went out to do this outreach in the middle of the afternoon. And it's hot, it's August, and we're out in the middle of the day and no one's outside. And eventually someone told us, People don't come outside this time of the day. Like, it's too hot. <laughs> come back later and do it. So we, we learned the hard way that day. But basically, these people would not come out until the cooler evening part of the day to get water. Um, if we remember uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, she was out in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, because she was an outcast. Because if she came out at the evening, the other woman would probably give her trouble. But they're there, and the servant prays. He has this, this quick prayer to the Lord. Um, I believe he has some sort of relationship with God here, even if it's just through his master, even if it's just my master Abraham's God. Uh, but with that, I think that people, when they come to faith, they sometimes come to faith through our faith. That they have to see our faith in action. That maybe when they pray for the first time, they go, oh, uh, God of my coworker who told me about, or God of my brother, or God of my sister. They come to faith that way. When I came to faith, um, you know, I'd gone to church as a kid and I kind of walked, I really walked away. Uh, but I've been reading some books and they're written by Christians. And, and somehow, in some way, I came to faith through their faith by them evangelizing to me in these uh, fiction books. But the commentary from David Guzik says, uh, Eliezer was wise enough to ask for a sign that was remarkable. Basically, someone who's not only going to give me water, but feed all these, cam- uh, give water to all these camels as well. But he didn't tempt God by asking for fire to fall from heaven or for protection as he leapt from an unsafe height. Then when Eliezer prayed, he prayed for a sign, but it wasn't this over-the-top miraculous sign. And I'll share this, as crazy as it is, when I was praying about whether uh, I should get married, uh, if Ashley was my wife, um, I was just probably so head over heels that there was this woman in my life that I was going a little crazy again. And I remember going hiking and I, I saw a salamander, and I was out camping. I was trying to get away for the weekend and spend some time with the Lord. And I saw a salamander, and I hadn't seen a salamander since middle school for some reason. 
And I remember praying, Lord, you know, if I see another one, you know, maybe, maybe it is. And this was one of those crazy, crazy prayers. I wouldn't recommend it. I saw another one. And I was like, all right, Lord, if I see, I forget how, how many it was, like some crazy number. And by the time I got to the top of the hike where the trail actually ended, it was supposed to go further onto a lake, but it was closed off because I guess it was just overgrown. It wasn't maintained. I had seen that exact number. And so it was this weird, like crazy prayer. And I'm, I wish I had prayers more like Eleazar at the time, more simple quests. But God found it in his mercy to show me these things. And in the same way, he asked for this big thing, though, that to feed these camels, to give these camels drink, rather, was a big ask. It's not a little deal. It's not a little deal. I think I have it later on in the notes that the, the camp, yeah, I do, that camels can drink 200 liters or 53 gallons of water in three minutes. So one camel, after marching through the desert for how many days, can drink up to 53 gallons in three minutes times how many camels times, I don't know how big her jar was or how deep that well was, but that's a lot of work for her to offer that. So he prays this prayer, which is a big ask but it's still within possibility. And he says that he's praying and Rebecca comes out. And I think if you knew the meaning of her name, ensnarer, maybe he would have run away. You know, if I met a girl and her name was ensnarer, I'd probably say, nice to meet you. I'm going to go over here now. Um, and it's interesting that later on she would have a son that would be named Heel Catcher or Jacob. But she was a young woman and it says that she was very beautiful. So uh, I'm sure Isaac was glad that Abraham's, son, uh, Abraham's servant, Eleazar, had good taste. But that this man's good taste, visually, was tempered by prayer and trust in God's standards. You know, there's a lot of Proverbs uh, on uh, a good wife. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. It doesn't say beautiful, it says virtuous. One has a lot of virtue, one has a lot of good to her. Proverbs 19.14, houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. One who is smart, one who is wise, one who is chaste, one who is not given to the worldly ways, that is a woman who comes from the Lord. That's not always the one that we would choose in our flesh. Proverbs 11.22, this is one of my favorites, it says, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. That just like you wouldn't take a nice piece of gold if i had any i wouldn't put it in a pig's nose it's not worth it in the same way as a woman who is lovely she doesn't have discretion it's like same thing that that beauty is like that gold but she's really a pig <laughs> the bible says not me don't come at me but make sure the one you want to marry is godly if they're not godly and this is probably more for the youth but they don't inspire you to be godly then you're in trouble if this person that you're interested in and you're at church with or you're serving with and they begin to take you away from the Lord, well, I don't know that they're from the Lord. Maybe one day they'll be for you. Maybe they are your wife or your husband, but now's not the time that they're taking you from the Lord because you can't change them. Their behaviors will change you. You know, it's been said that um, when it comes to like evangelism or reaching out to someone that, you know, it's easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. You know, you need to run away from a relationship like this if it's not good for you. If they don't encourage you to read the Bible, they're not praying for you or you're not praying for them, you know, you need to, to really check the motives of the relationship. Let's go on, verse 17, and we'll try and get through 11 more verses here. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink 
And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Remember, 53 gallons each in just a couple minutes. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent, so as to know whether the Lord had made this journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young, man, young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Uh, so it says that he ran up. You know, he wasn't waiting for her to come to him. You know, if she was a wise, discreet woman, she's not going to go up to some strange man at some rest stop at the side of the highway. She's not going to approach him. So he goes up to her. And when, when he does, she's very respectful. And she quickly serves him. You know, this, this woman, this young woman who is beautiful is going out and serving. She's not expecting him to do everything for her. And I think sometimes we find a lot of people who are outwardly beautiful are quite vain or even if not outwardly or think highly of themselves that they're smart or talented they expect others to do everything for them we see a lot of that um, in famous people but she's very respectful she says my lord let me get you some water let me get you some water for your camels and when we're looking for a mate and we have a mate if we already are a mate we need to be someone who's looking out for the needs of others who is respectful and is kind. You know, if they're not respectful and kind on the first date, imagine what they'll be like 20 years from now, 30 years from now. But she says, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And like we looked at that, it's a lot of work. But she offers it. He doesn't hint that. He's not like, hey, a camels are thirsty, do. She says, I'll get you water. I'll get water for your camels as well. It says that she quickly emptied her jar, ran back, got some more, ran back. Ran back. She wasn't dragging her feet. She wanted to do it, and she wanted to do it quickly. And as she did this, Eleazar sat back, wondering at her, gazing kind of in a good way. You know, I don't think he was creepily gazing at her. But I wonder if he grabbed his chin and I said, could this be her? Quietly sat there thinking. You know, I, I tend to gaze and wonder at those I love in my life. And the kids were running around in the house last night, and just or the other night, and I sat back just looking and, just gazing in wonder, like, wow, just seeing them for who they are, seeing my wife with them, or as she's teaching them, or doing things with them, and just gazing in wonderment that these are the people that God has given me. And I think here he just gazes and wonders and, and, and remains silent. I think that's the most important part, to remain silent. As soon as it was, oh, she got me water, she got my camel's water, this is it. You want to come marry, you know, my, my boy Isaac? He waited, he listened, he watched. And we say that even in, uh, the scripture even says that in ministry, that you know not to lay your hands on anyone quickly, that to sit back and watch and make sure that this person really does love the Lord, that they really do follow the Lord um, before you put them in any position. 
I remember before each of my kids were born, um, praying and listening. Right before they were born, you know, they were all born C-section. Uh, for, you know, we tried to have them actually, but it just didn't work out both times. And just being in there in the scrubs outside the OR, waiting for them to come get me and just having a quiet moment and just listening for what the Lord might say about each of them. But he gives her a nose ring, uh, half shekel, two bracelets, ten shekels. I don't know the exact worth, uh, but I, I gather that it wasn't cheap. Um, you know, again, this isn't the golden nose ring and the pig snout like we read that verse. Uh, in fact, the commentary even mentions that there, there's nothing strange, shocking, rebellious about wearing a nose ring in that culture. In our culture, especially maybe even 20 years ago, it was more rebellious to put a ring in your nose. But uh, back then in this culture, it was not. Um, and again, you might want to consider the person you are marrying. How rebellious are they? Are they into doing things that are absolutely rebellious? But now that he's seen this, he's considered this, he listened, he says, whose daughter are you? He wants to know, what family are you from? I want to meet your family. And I tell you, if you want to know someone better, meet their family. Maybe they're the black sheep in the family and they're nothing like their family. But I tell you, if I, when I met my wife's family, I actually met her mom before I met her um, and her brother as well, that uh, I know more about her by knowing her family. I know more about her personality and uh, I can see the way her house was versus the way my house was growing up. You know, not one right or one wrong, just different. I know her better that way. But she says that, uh, you know, basically her grandfather uh, is Nahor. This guy travels all this way, no GPS, no cell phone, no way to find out who the family was, no telegram before the fact. He gets there, he, he sits at the well, the camels come up, he prays, God, please, Whoever it is, will they give me water in my camels also? And he opens his eyes, and Rebecca comes out and offers all this, and she's from this house. Like, that's not a coincidence. That's a God of wins. That's Only God can do something like that. And sometimes I think we pass off coincidences in life as uh, just coincidence, and sometimes we take coincidence and try and give them more than they really are. But man, when we bump into certain people, you know, maybe been praying for someone, you bump into them at the supermarket, or you've been praying for something, and all of a sudden, you know, a check shows up in the mail, so to speak. Or maybe you've been praying about something, and you've been reading, and God gives you a verse, and then you're talking with a friend, and they don't know what's going on, and then they share that same verse with you. Or you put on a message on the radio, or you go to church, and the pastor's sharing the same verse. That's not a coincidence. That's God speaking. But she says to him, she's very inviting. She's very hospitable. She says, we have straw, we have feed, we have room, we have everything you need. Please come back to us. Please come back to our house. You know, there was no hotels.com. He went there. He didn't have a place to stay, and they, and they provided for it. I think it's interesting at this point that he worships the Lord. But what's more interesting to me that the scripture says the man, it doesn't say the servant, it says the man worships the Lord here. That this man is not just a servant when it comes to worshiping God, that he has personal worth to God. And I think at this point, his faith, if it wasn't personal by now, it's personal now. God had answered his prayer and answered it right away in a way that could not be denied as the Lord. It says that she ran again, and I don't know why I thought of this, but it says in Luke 2, 49, Jesus said to his father and mother, Why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be busy about my father's business? or about my father's business. And she was busy about her father's business. It was about her father having all these things. I'm gonna go get water for my family. There's this guy who needs water. Let me provide for him. He gives me these things. He tells me this. Let me bring him back. She's busy about it. She is 
entrepreneurial and a servant uh, with a servant's heart in a way where she's willing to do these things just because it's who she is. Let's go on, verse 29. We'll read uh, through 49 here. It says, Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. And so it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, uh, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came into the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And, and so they said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servant, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, for my family, and for my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when they arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, that I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom my Lord has appointed, for whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water, and I said to her, Please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him. So I put a nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So if you missed any of the story to this point, we just basically had the whole story recapped to us again in that chapter, in this section rather. Uh, but Laban, uh, if you remember uh, later on, uh, he has a daughter, Rachel, and daughters Rachel and Leah, and Jacob goes to uh, work for him. And Laban's kind of a conniving guy at that point. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is just conjecture on my part, but... Laban ran when he saw the expensive jewelry. Sister comes back. She's got jewelry on. She's got a ring in her nose. and goes, what happened? You know, where'd you get all this? And he goes running down there. Um, and just knowing what, what he's like later on, I wouldn't be surprised if that was his motive. Well, maybe this guy will give me some expensive stuff too. I don't know that he had the same servant heart as his sister. Um, but he says, oh, blessed of the Lord. And the capital Lord, uh, Yahweh. You know, did they have faith? You know, this is Abraham's family. Remember, you know, sometimes, like I said before, we kind of look at Scripture sometimes with a wall or through a lens. And we think, oh, yeah, all these people are Jewish. They knew who God was. Well, God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, out of this idolatrous land. Abraham was just seeking the truth, and God showed up to him. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have the 
Jewish nation to, to give him the Old Testament to read? And I wonder, did they know from Abraham's experience who the Lord was? Maybe they didn't have faith, or maybe they did have faith, but they saw that Abraham left his hometown and his home country because he felt that God, not a God of their country, but the true and living God had called them. And did Laban really prepare a place for this guy? I don't know. Maybe he was just taking credit because she kind of mentioned that they already had room and they had food and Laban kind of runs out and sees the gold and maybe he's kind of like, hey, I did all this for you. You know, maybe he's looking for a tip. I don't, I don't know. Um, but the servant, when he gets there and they lay out this spread before him, this feast, he doesn't sit back and relax. He's not like, oh yeah, you know. He doesn't forget that he's a servant on a mission. He doesn't forget that he's not Abraham. He's not some king here to eat and be blessed. But he remembers his oath. And that's an honorable man. That's a very honorable man to be sent on a mission, to be offered, to be treated like a king. And yet he says, no, 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 I, I'm here with a purpose. I'm not here to, to, be, to eat this food. You know, Proverbs 10.26 says, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. That Eleazar was not the lazy man. He would not be get drunk or eat and forget the mission that he was on. And Ecclesiastes 5, 4-6 through 6 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And Eleazar was a man of keeping his word. And Proverbs 23, 1-3 is good advice. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. You know, you go out on a business dinner, or you go out with a client, or whatever you have to do uh, in life, and there's this meal, and they offer you a meal, or they offer you a bribe, or they offer you a, a, a sign-on bonus, or things of that nature. Be very careful. Put a knife to your throat, so to speak. Don't overeat, and don't get distracted by the food, and really consider uh, what's being laid out before you. And that's here, too. Um, he did not want to be distracted by... Uh, any of the night's events. He wanted to get down and get off what was on his heart. But he gives Abraham's credentials. You know, he's saying, we're not taking your daughter away, you know, to some uh, shack somewhere. Abraham's a wealthy guy. His son is wealthy. God has blessed him. You know, we're going to provide for her. We're going to provide for her. You know, she's going to have a good life. Like I said earlier, you know, some advice to some kids in high school are dating and want to get married. Well, do you have a job? Okay, get a job first. You got a job? Okay, that's a great start. That's a great start. The Lord, he says, before whom I walk, and like Abraham said, what a great way to look at faith that, man, it's not this religion. It's not a set of rules, but it's, man, I'm walking in life. I'm doing my life's journey. And I'm before the Lord. The Lord sees it. The Lord is interested in it. And I can talk to him about it. And he's with me on that road. Again, he brings up that there's no pressure. You know, if she doesn't want to, just please, let's just deal honestly. This is a culture like we saw in other chapters about dealings that, you know, there might be this bargaining process that goes on. You know, that this, in a sense, was a transaction. But he's like, look, I, don't, I want to cut through all the garbage. That's why I hate going to the car dealer. I'm like, I know how this works. My family was car dealers. I want to get right to the point and... Let's just make the deal and go home. I don't want to haggle. Um, I want the best price, but I don't, you know, I don't want to be taken for the rigmarole. No, I don't need the undercoating and all, you know, anything else they want to offer. Let's just have an honest deal, especially about this important relationship. You know, this is a, a husband and a wife. This isn't, um, you know, stick with the analogy of used car. That let's just be honest. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. I'm just going to go my way. It's not a big deal. You know, we don't need to haggle over this. 
but he tells him the story. You know, and again, I think he could go back to this familiar land if he wanted. He knew this land. He could have gone back there. He was already back there in a sense. Abraham was releasing him. You know, he had followed Abraham to this foreign land of the Canaanites. And he kind of sent him back there. And if, you know, if she doesn't come with you, you're releasing this oath. You know, if I die and you don't come back, I'm not going to know it, Eleazar. But as he shares what happens, he says, before I finish speaking my heart, there was Rebecca. And that's how the Lord works. You know, uh, Matthew 6, 8 says, therefore, do not be like the heathen for your father knows the things you have need before you ask him. God was answering the prayer as Eleazar was praying it. That God was like, oh, don't worry. I've got a blessing for you. Don't, you know, and I think sometimes that's, that's the way life works. That God has, has things for us. And I don't mean like health, wealth, and, 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 and all that stuff. But really, he has good things for us in life, whether it's a wife or a friendship or a job or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, if you would just pray that you might see that I'm the one bringing it to you. That it isn't just a coincidence. That it wasn't just your lucky stars. That, man, I'm the one who's been bringing it to you. And I've known the need on your heart before you even asked it. And again, he says that she made haste. You know, I always love uh, when people say, oh, your kids were so well behaved today. I want to hear that. And I think that that was good for them to hear that, that she was uh, not lazy. That she, you know, away from home and at home, she was the same person. He says, Lord God of my master who had led me in the way of truth. Again, I see, like, I feel like he's got this deeper relationship here, that he's being led in the way of truth here. But again, his concern is for his master. Please deal truthfully with your master, with your relative Abraham. Again, not wanting a big process, not wanting a, a giant legal agreement, you know, but basically whatever happens, turn to the right hand to the left. I'm going to go my way tomorrow. It's not, it's not the end of the world if you don't come with me. And so we go on here. Uh, verse 50 says, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth, right there in front of them. And verse 53, Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, and clothing, and gave to the Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. I don't know why they, they picked ten. but And he said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord was prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And so they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Laban and Bethuel, you know, it's interesting if the brother has any say. Uh, you know, my guess is that he's the firstborn. Uh, but the, they say that the thing comes from the Lord. Whether they had a relationship with the Lord or not, you know, they at least acknowledged that this is what was going on. Uh, whether it was vanity or not, I don't know. But they said, this thing comes to the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. So maybe they didn't have real faith. Maybe, you know, we don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, if it's from the Lord, shouldn't it be a good thing, right? Um, so I'm not totally sure of their faith. Uh, but I think in some sense, they're, contesting, they're not contesting with what the Lord is doing. You know, we see, obviously, the Pharisees and uh, uh, the high priest says, you know, this is what God is doing. What man can stop it? Uh, we can't stop what God is doing. 
Uh, you know, obviously they want her to wait 10 days. Obviously, you know, they're never going to see her again if she's going this far away. So they want some time with her. But I think, again, if we look forward to the way Laban was uh, with Jacob, and he's like, oh, well, serve me seven years, and then this, and then stay another night. It just turned into this whole, like, let me delay the process so that I get what I, need, get what I want out of it. I'm just going to give you what you think you want the first night, but let's take a little bit longer in this dealing. But again, they had never asked her. And so perhaps if this never had happened, we never would have seen for sure that she was going of her own accord, that it wasn't a forced marriage. And so God allows this to happen. They ask her and she says, yes, yeah, so I'll go. We see that she wants to go. She's willing to go. And he worships. The servant worships. Again, I think that that's awesome. That all throughout this, he's praying and he's worshiping. And I think that it's important that when God's blessing does come in our life, that the answers to prayer do come in our life, that we do thank God, that we do worship him. We do give credit for him. We don't let our hearts grow hard uh, to what he's done for us. Um, you know, maybe they want some time to think about it with these 10 days. They say fools rush in. You know, I had some friends who were believers that got married real young. And a lot of the, the opposition, they got, well, you're so young. And, oh, and, you know, a lot of the people who are old who have been married several times and made mistakes. And I get the concern. But the other hand, it's like I looked at these people who were young and getting married and going, well, they love the Lord. And I can tell if God's hand is on their life. Why would we ever delay that and, and prevent them? And, and why would that would be the best thing for them is for them to get married. But he says to them, don't hinder me. Please don't hold me back. God has prospered me. Let's not get in the way of that. Let's be immediate in our obedience. We saw that with Abraham and Isaac when God told them to sacrifice and that he went out immediately the next day. And this quote from the commentary from uh, a guy named Barnhouse says, if the world does not succeed in persuading the believer to abide in the world, it will seek to delay his exit. When you decide to go with the Lord, the world will applaud your devotion, but will say, don't rush. Abide a few days, at least 10 and then go. Isn't that true that people, oh, your faith is great, but then when it comes to you really living out your faith and becoming a missionary in the Philippines or whatever it is that the world looks at your life and says, oh, you're getting married now? Aren't you kind of young? Don't you need a 401k? Well, no. God's my 401k. That they begin to say, oh, okay, now you need to slow down, relax a little bit. You're going a little bit too crazy. But Rebecca says, I will go. And just as she was willing to go with the servant of Abraham, we must be willing to go where and when the Lord calls us, just like the virgins with their lamps and oil. And again, I think that God uses his proof that, man, she was ready and willing to go, just like Abraham. We don't know the whole backstory uh, when he came to faith, but when God called him, he, was, he delayed a little bit. We saw that he got in trouble, but he was open to what God, where God would lead him, even if it was out of his own country. And I think additionally that this was her way out if she didn't want to go, if she ever had a chance to say, you know what, no, I don't want to go. Let's wait 10 days. This was her way to put her foot down, but she didn't. And so she, her nurse, her maids, uh, some familiar people went with her. Um, you know, again, I couldn't imagine moving out here without my family. It's great to have my family and have people to interact with uh, on the regular. But they give this prophecy to her, and it does come true that Israel, she does become a mother of 10,000s, that Israel becomes a nation uh, through her children. And let's go on. We'll close out here. Uh, the very last. 62. It says, Now Isaac came from the way of Bear uh, Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? 
And the servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, Isaac comes to his place called Bear Lahai Roy. Uh, I'm certainly butchering that. But it means the well of the living one seeing me. And if we remember in Genesis 16, that's when uh, Hagar and Sarah, were ha- or basically Sarah was sick of seeing Hagar and seeing Ishmael make fun of Isaac. So she told Abraham to get rid of them. So he cast them out to the wilderness. They went out there and they were dying of thirst. The boy was dying in the heat. And she cries out to God at this place and God answers her prayer. And that's, that's where, it's interesting, that's where Isaac was when God brings his wife to her. And he comes back up um, and from the south. And apparently he was out in the field and he was meditating. And this isn't, you know, he didn't, uh, he wasn't doing yoga, but he was communing, speaking, complaining. In fact, the word's a bit uncertain. But I know that he was having time with his God, with God, because that's what Abraham did. Abraham used to commune with God. Abraham used to go to the trees and, and the area and spend time with the Lord out in nature. I know that's how God got my attention by being out in uh, camping or hiking or out in the wilderness and just seeing these things that God had made. I, just, I always enjoy going out, out there and hiking and spending time with the Lord. I feel like it's not like it's more special, or, but I just feel like getting away from everything else, it really helps me, um, helps me hear him. But it's interesting that he comes out in the evening. It's kind of this contrast uh, the comparison between the beginning when the women went out to fetch water and he's out here but I also remember in the beginning in the very beginning of Genesis what did what did God do with them he would walk in the cool of the day when he looked for Adam and Eve he would come out in the cool of the day and look for them to spend time with them that's what Isaac is doing Isaac is a man of God you know in Jesus uh, in John 4 with the Samaritan woman he talks about the I have water for you to drink living water at the well. And that's where Isaac was coming from, the well, where God had showed up. But they both lifted their eyes, and I, I can see it in a movie, and they've got, all of a sudden it gets slow motion, and the color changes, and they've got the romantic music. He's coming out of the field, and she's dismounting off her camel. But she covers herself. She puts a veil over. Again, she's honorable. She's got this discretion, even when she's away from home. I need to cover my face. I need to, need to be wise and not be, um, not have the entire of someone of a harlot. But she says, who is this man? She noticed him right away. You know, there's a, kind of a funny story with Ashley and me as we closed that uh, we were at a New Year's Eve party when we knew each other, but we weren't uh, involved in a relationship yet. And uh, she kind of saw me doing this crazy thing. We were doing this weird talent show, and I won't get into it, uh, probably because it's embarrassing. But remember, she, she'll tell you that she saw me, and she goes, that's the man I'm going to marry. And I don't know what she saw, but... Maybe God hit her over the head with something. But I think that that's what she is here. She goes, who is this man? And she gets off her camel and he comes out there. And Eliezer tells Isaac everything. And basically, uh, Isaac and Rebekah get married that night. There's no need to wait. And it's interesting that he goes into his mother's tent, that his heart is still broken for the loss of his mom. His heart is still hurting and, you know, that he, they consummate their marriage there. And Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That this is important, that in marriage we leave and cleave, that there's a closure of a relationship with our parents, that, yeah, they're still involved in our lives, they still can speak into our lives and give us advice or be there when we need them, but that they're not to be between the husband and wife, that when it comes to husband and wife matters, uh, the parents aren't in the middle of it. 
um, as much as they might want to be a broken heart or especially in a hard time, but that uh, there needs to be a proper order there. I like that it also says that he loved her. She wasn't just an inheritance from his dad. Oh, my dad sent got me a wife, but that he loved her, that she was important to him, that she was of value um, to him. Um, you know, they were a match made in heaven. If there ever was one, I think that this would be it. Um, it says that, the, you know, that he's comforted by her. And this is true. In life, there's, there's times that I need comfort, and uh, I probably cry on Ashley's shoulder more than she cries on mine. But there's really only a comfort that my wife can bring uh, when it comes to any sort of thing. Um, but as we close that, you know, Eleazar kept his oath to Abraham to find a wife, that God answered the prayer for them. But bigger than that, that his oath was, to, was for Isaac and Rebekah and for their oath, because marriage is an oath. If we remember saying that it's till death do us part. And we shouldn't break it. We shouldn't break that oath spiritually. We shouldn't break that oath mentally or emotionally or physically. A lot of times that's the, that's the order that it breaks. You know, spiritually, your spiritual bond gets broken from you. are unforgiving. Then mentally, you begin, your mind begins to go elsewhere. Then emotionally, you get attached to someone you shouldn't be. And then physically, and, and then there's severe damage that may or may not be reconcilable. So we cannot break that oath. And I think it's important that we look at it in those terms. But... Uh, God, we thank you, God, for what you did in this time that you brought uh, Rebecca to Isaac, that you prepared her for him and him for her, and that his dad was concerned about it, that the servant was diligent, and that the family was willing to let Rebecca go where she needed to go. God, I pray you'd help us to be willing to go, that we'd be quick to serve, we'd be polite in in the right ways. Um, But God, that when we do hear from you, that we would follow you and serve you all our days. God, bless our children that as they grow up, they would give themselves to you and to the right people in their lives, and they would be willing to listen and observe and make sure that the decisions they're making are good and godly ones from you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.